Welcome to Litigation Nation. I'm your host, Jack Sanker. Today's stories, a tech update today. And you know we'd have to cover this one. Twitter is suing Elon Musk for backing out of their agreement for Musk to buy Twitter. What is the social media giant suing for? What does it want? What do people think is going to happen? Then we'll talk about what happens if Musk loses. Where is he going to get the $44 billion, for example? And our last story, YouTube settled a proposed class action with its former content moderators who developed PTSD and psychiatric issues after viewing truly horrific stuff that is uploaded to the platform to flag for removal. For those of you that don't know, this is Litigation Nation. I'm your host, Jack Sanker. You can hear us every Tuesday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your stories. Here's what you need to know. Up first, the complaint heard around the world, Twitter is suing Elon Musk after the billionaire announced he was backing out of a deal where he would buy Twitter, take the company private for about $44 billion. In April of 2022, Musk had bought about 9% of Twitter's public shares, making him the largest shareholder, and around April 13th, sent a letter to Twitter's board offering to buy the company for $54.20 per share. He announced that, quote, eliminating spam bots on the platform would be his, quote, top priority in a separate tweet on Twitter and put a pin in that for now. Some back and forth occurred, and on April 20th, he sends a security filing that his offer for Twitter is no longer conditioned on financing or due diligence. The merger agreement was signed on April 25th. He then sold off a few million Tesla shares, presumably to finance his purchase of Twitter. Two weeks later, Elon says that the deal is, quote, on hold pending details supporting calculation that spam fake accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users, unquote, which Twitter says violates the non-disclosure agreement in the merger contract, things deteriorated from there. More back and forth, most of which occurred on Twitter because Musk, whatever you think about him, just loves to tweet. Musk eventually asks for more information and complains that Twitter is concealing the number of spam bots on its platform. Twitter then sends 50 terabytes of data over in response. Musk next complains that Twitter has placed a, quote, artificial cap on the number of searches that Musk experts could run on the data that it shared. And on July 8th, Musk says that he's terminating the merger. So here we are, July 12th, 2022, and Twitter has filed suit in Delaware. I've skimmed the complaint, and Law360 has done a lot of reporting on this case so far, and I'll be relying on those. Here are some of the most juicy parts of the complaint against Musk, Quote, having mounted a public spectacle to put Twitter in play and having proposed and then signed a seller-friendly merger agreement, Musk apparently believes that he, unlike every other party subject to Delaware contract law, is free to change his mind, trash the company, disrupt its operations, destroy stockholder value, and walk away, unquote. Now, the deal relied heavily on Musk's presumed ability to raise capital for the sale, which most people would think would involve him using his Tesla shares as collateral, for example. The problem is that since the deal was announced, Tesla has lost more than $100 billion off its market cap due to sell-offs, which makes it all that much harder for Elon to secure financing. So the complaint heavily implies that Musk's talks of, quote, too many bots were mere pretext for the reality that Musk no longer could afford the purchase after he agreed to it. Quote, from the outset, defendants' information requests were designed to try and tank the deal. Musk's increasingly outlandish requests reflect not a genuine examination of Twitter's processes, but a litigation-driven campaign to try and create a record of non-cooperation on Twitter's part. 
Twitter has bent over backwards to provide Musk the information he has requested. For Musk, it would seem Twitter, the interests of its stockholders, the transaction Musk agreed to, and the court processes to enforce it all constitute an elaborate joke, unquote. So I should note that Twitter is asking for specific performance and or money damages. Specifically, Twitter is asking the court basically to force the sale to go through. And a lot of commentators have asked something on the lines of, why would Twitter want an owner who says he doesn't want the company to buy the company? Or ask questions like, why won't Twitter just ask for its breakup fee of $1 billion instead of the specific performance? Why does the board think that Elon can run the company better than the board can? Why does the board not think it could achieve a higher price than the sale price to Elon? And responding to these general critiques of the board's action here, Professor Ann Lipton, a business law professor at Tulane University, has a great write-up on why this commentary is missing the point on the Law Professor blog network. Quote, if the outcome Elon is forced to buy the company, it doesn't matter what the former board's view of the company's future was. Elon is now the board, and Elon is the shareholders. If Musk buys the company, the board is not there anymore. The shareholders are not there anymore. They do not care if Twitter is, quote, worse under his leadership. The concept of a being worse doesn't even read because the company will no longer be owned by public investors. Worse does not have much of a definition. Twitter does not have a preference. Twitter is not a person. If Musk loses in court, the current shareholders will be bought out, and they are unlikely to have sentimental feelings about what happens to the company after that. I am sure that the lawyers will win, but I must really emphasize that if Twitter wins, Twitter shareholders will get $54.20 per share for a stock currently trading around $36, a figure itself which is probably inflated somewhat by the possibility that Musk will be forced to make good on his offer. And they will have done so without personally having to sit for depositions or be pillared on Twitter itself. The shareholders, therefore, would win. I claim no insight into the personal feelings of board members, their fears, their hopes, their dreams, but their legal obligation here is to maximize shareholder wealth. And though they could, consistent with those duties, decide that in the long term, Twitter is more valuable as a standalone company than the $44 billion Musk has agreed to pay right now, that seems unlikely. And so their legal obligation is to pursue that $44 billion. And if investors can win in the courtroom, then there is absolutely a benefit to fighting with Musk about it. That $1 billion breakup fee won't begin to compensate the company for the damage that Musk has done. But more importantly, $1 billion is less than $44 billion. Unquote. According to Professor Lipton, the Twitter board probably has a legal obligation to go after Elon because the sale price of $44 billion, given what the current state of Twitter stock is, it's about $37 today, would be such a windfall for shareholders that it'd probably be a breach of fiduciary duty for the board not to. So normally we'd say in a case like this, it would take years to litigate, by the way. But Twitter also filed a motion seeking for an expedited proceeding on the matter, since the merger agreement has a drop-dead date of October 24th of this year. So Twitter is asking the court for a four-day trial to be completed sometime in September of 2022. Now, I have no idea how this is ultimately going to pan out for either side, but if the request for expedited trial is granted, that would put a ton of pressure on the parties to come to an agreement. And at the end of the day, I just ask that everyone say a prayer for the associates that are going to have to process 50 terabytes of data between now and then. Up next, we're going to be sticking with Elon and Twitter for a minute. What if Elon loses, is ordered to buy Twitter and refuses to? So first of all, there is precedent for forcing a merger, obviously. Tyson Foods in the past was ordered in 2021 to complete its $3.2 billion purchase of Meatpacker, IBP, Kohlberg & Co. 
a private equity firm, was ordered to close its $550 million deal for a company called Disapac Holdings, which makes a cake decorating product apparently just last year. But there's nothing close to a $44 billion specific performance case in the history of Delaware courts. This is a, a massive case. Now, Delaware, where this suit would take place, is also the home state of Tesla, the Boring Company, which is Elon Musk's tunnel company, and SpaceX, their rocket company, which would technically give the court jurisdiction over a lot of Musk's personal assets to coerce compliance with any court order if he loses the case. Theoretically, Delaware could freeze those assets. Quoting from a Reuters piece this week, if Musk refuses to pay, quote, the court has capacious powers to enforce its orders, said Francis Pelleggi, an attorney with Lewis Brisbane in Wilmington, Delaware. If Musk continued to ignore a judgment, the court could order Tesla and other Delaware and corporate companies in which Musk owned a stake to freeze his assets or turn over their shares. Quote, he'd be treated like a deadbeat dad not paying child support, said Minor Myers, a professor of Yukon School of Law. It wouldn't be that hard, unquote. Now, the piece goes on to discuss what has happened in Delaware courts in the past. Quote, when Delaware Incorporated ZST Digital Networks was sued in Delaware in 2012 by one of its largest outside shareholders for access to its books amid accounting irregularities, the Chinese company refused to comply. Travis Laster, a vice chancellor uh, and judge in the Court of Chancery, appointed a receiver of the company to force it to turn over the records. He also allowed the receiver to seek to arrest executives if they visited the United States. The court has also forced companies to comply with orders by warning directors they will be held personally liable for accumulating fines. Professor Lipton, who we talked about earlier, says that she expects Musk to comply as he ordered, saying, quote, he's not actually insane. Unquote. Up next, we have some more tech news. This one jumped out to me because I'm not sure a lot of people realize that content moderation on online media platforms, which would include Twitter, but this is about YouTube, often requires people, real human beings, to flip through a lot of truly horrific content, flagging it, and really having to take it all in before it can be removed. I think a lot of people think that content moderation is fully automated. And while it seems like that's going to be the goal, of course, for now, there are real people involved in that process. And a settlement this week against YouTube in a case filed by a former YouTube content moderator illustrates this point. Relying on a Reuters report, lawyers for a plaintiff identified as Jane Doe sued seeking class certification for content moderators who worked for YouTube and submitted a $4.3 million settlement for the name plaintiff, Jane Doe. The proposed class action would include content moderators going back to 2016. According to Reuters, the settlement requires YouTube to provide moderators with on-site and virtual counseling services, peer support groups, etc., on top of the money payout. Quote, Doe in the lawsuit said that she developed anxiety and post-traumatic stress disorder after viewing beheadings, acts of cannibalism, and animal mutilation. She accused YouTube of negligence and for violating California's unfair competition law, which prohibits unlawful business practices. Doe claimed that YouTube developed safety standards to protect content moderators, but never actually implemented them. These measures included blurring images, displaying thumbnails rather than full screen videos, removing audio, according to the complaint, unquote. The piece notes that a Facebook case uh, settled for $52 million a couple of years ago. 
ByteDance, which is the company that owns TikTok, were hit with a similar class action federal court for thousands of content moderators there, and that case is still going on. All of this is just a reminder that when you're on social media or any of these video websites, there are people on the other side of the screen whose job it is to make sure that some of the most nasty stuff you can think of doesn't make it through to you, the end user. Our last story, this is an interesting twist on some of the abortion drama that's going on right now. A woman in Dallas, Texas, Brandy Batone, was pulled over by a Dallas sheriff deputy and given a ticket for driving alone in a high occupancy vehicle lane, an HOV lane. She argued, though, she wasn't alone because she was pregnant. The Texas Sheriff's Department disagreed that the presence of a pregnant fetus in her belly counts as another person such that traveling in the HOV lane is legal. And she says, quote, the law says two or more persons, and I counted the baby as a person, said Miss Patone, who's in her third trimester of pregnancy. So I was like, that makes sense to me. And she was issued a $275 ticket. Now, the Texas Penal Code recognizes an individual as including an unborn child, and that's going to count for automobile accidents, things like that. So there is a bit of a disconnect here between whether the law is going to apply for who gets to drive an HOV lane and whether the law is going to apply in a scenario where a fetus is aborted. Just an example of, I think, the questions that are going to be coming up over the next few years as states try to figure out these contradictions in the law as to who is what, whether it's a fetus as a person in each context. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of this over the next few years. But in the meantime, good luck to Ms. Patone. All right. Thanks everyone for listening. And what a week. There's a lot we could have covered. We could have got into the abortion fiasco in Ohio with the 10 year old girl, et cetera. I think we're going to wait until the dust settles on that. There's international courts that are now certifying the use of NFTs for service out of state. There's a lot going on. The legal world right now is busy and only going to get busier. When I sat down to write this week's show, I had a lot to choose from. I ended up with what we did. If you want to stay updated though, tune in here every Tuesday and you know where to find us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. And we'll talk to you next week.